House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Back into the House of Mystery, and I am L. Warren. Who else would I be? Mr. John Copenhager, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Al. How are you? It's fine. Tuesday? I'm still, is it? No, it's Wednesday. It's all the same. Oh my gosh, I don't even know what the day of the week is anymore. It's all blurred. (laughs) It's all blurred, you know, it's all the same, you know. Too many, too many things going on. Too many things on the weekend. Never had any time off. And that's your fault. I know, that's my fault. Sorry, Al. (laughs) Just so we, just so we get that clear, you know. You're, you're the, you're just whipping us into shape, making us work. Keeping you busy. Uh, I was referring to outright uh, DC. I, I, I made him do a panel um, on yeah. this weekend. So in the middle of a book signing. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> well, I, it was cool that the ladies all waited for an hour. Yeah, just yeah. hung out and so talked about me and and uh, you know that was crazy. Uh, desperate, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so let's get right on this. Now, uh, we've got a guest. Uh, the new book is called Kismet, a thriller, and um, it's uh, Amina Akhtar. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Al? And I am delicious. Oh, I love that. Delicious, but uh, uh, and non-fat, too. No carbs, oh. no sugar. I'm all about that, you know. <laughs> So what's going on with you? How come How come I had never heard of you before? Like, what is this? Well, my first book was about the fashion world. So, you know, maybe a lot of men didn't read it. But oh, please. I'm just saying. <laughs> but it was, you know, I call it Devil Wears Prada meets American Psycho. <laughs> it was a very <laughs> violent book with good accessories. <laughs> That's what I would call it. Um, so, sounds like my life. I, I don't know why I, mean. I wouldn't have uh this is crazy. So but now I look at this and you're you're, you're a big star now. I it uh, I'm getting some good response, yes. I, I don't what know you, if I would say I'm a star. I look would just at, number one new release on Amazon, forty two hundred plus ratings. My God. That is a rock star. Yeah. It's been you know, it's one of those things where, I, like, launch was last week, and I haven't let anything sink in yet. <laughs> so I'm just kind of rolling with it and being like, okay, everything is fine. Uh, let's not worry about how many people are reading your book right now. <laughs> let's just hope they enjoy it. Why don't you change your name to Lady Akkar? Something Lady. like that. Lady. Maybe like I Lady Gaga. Lady. marry somebody with a title in a yeah. castle. Madame. The yeah. Madame. That would you be know. nice. Do you have an entourage now that you're like doing yeah, this? My dog. <laughs> <laughs> my dog is my entourage. She's sitting next to me. So that's about it. We well, keep would, really, geez. really chill out here. <laughs> I would imagine you need security and a driver and everything now. I mean, this is crazy. How do you, how do you, how did you become, um, a writer, like what? What's going on? You got to tell me the secret because I want to be like you. Okay, so. Well, I always wanted to write, but you know, I didn't. I didn't think of myself as a novelist. I thought, okay, let's go into journalism. So you know, from high school on, I was very focused on journalism. I went to NYU. I got a job at Vogue right out of college, which I I still don't know how that happened. And then. I just sort of fell into the fashion industry, you know, and it wasn't like 
my intent, but there I was. So for about two decades, almost, I was toiling in the ranks with the well-heeled. And then the industry started to implode. Um, and I, and you guys might have noticed this, like, you know, we, magazines were shutting down, websites were pivoting to video. Everyone who got hired would get laid off within a year. And I was definitely one of those people. So, you know, I was sitting there thinking, well, at the time I was in my mid-30s, and I couldn't get a job. I had like aged out of the fashion industry. At 35. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what, what am I going to do with myself? I have no skills. Like my skills are fashion and writing and oh my God, I have to pay rent. You know? Well, you could get a job at the National Enquirer or something. Oh, I'm sure. But I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror. So, <laughs> and that's really important for fashion. So, um, I had also had a personal tragedy. My mom had died and I wasn't really sure what to do with myself. And so I just realized, well, I'm not leaving my apartment anyways. Why don't I try my hand at writing my crazy fashion book idea? And, Mm. you know, just see what happens. And I did. And, you know, I got an agent and then I promptly got turned down by every publisher for about two years, (laughs) just at least. Did you hunt them down and and do some bad things to them? (laughs) Maybe only in my head. (laughs) Maybe that'll be a book later. (laughs) Yeah, the the mysterious deaths of publishers. Of of publishing, no. Um, And I thought, well, that was a nice try for me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to move to Arizona and take care of my dad because he was out here by himself. And I did that. And about right after I moved here, and I mean, we're out. Compared to Manhattan, you know, where I've been living, uh, I live on a mountain (laughs) on a couple acres. We have a well. I have uh, lots of wild animals. I don't see people very often. So we're really out there. And there's a lot of wild animals in New York. (laughs) Yeah, I dated some of them. I was going to say that, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I was here and I thought, you know, let me. you know, Fashion Victim got picked up, and then I thought, well, let me set a book here, because the setting here is stunning. It's just one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Um, but it's me, so I have to fill it with assholes. <laughs> because that's I like to write terrible people. So I thought, well, Sedona is about 20 miles from me, and it's very um, wellness with crystals, but at the same time, conservative with guns. And it's this weird mishmash that, you know, you don't believe it until you see it. So it was, it is. I mean, obviously not everybody there is conservative, but this is a very conservative area. So it was just such a wonderful, like, dichotomy of things. You know, we've got two different opposite things that should not go together, but that's, that's life. So I thought, well, let's murder some people in a book and see what happens. Well, where does that come from? Like where you say you like to write awful characters or assholes and murder people and all that. So where do you, where do you think that comes from? Are you, are you one of those? Oh, I'm probably a, a terrible person myself. I don't know. <laughs> well, I just wondered, like you, do you go out at night dressed up as like someone different and do things like maybe kill people and torture them or something? Like where, where, <laughs> where, where like what goes on? And then write about it. That's that's so smart. <laughs> Are the feds listening to this? Because I'm not going to incriminate myself. No. <laughs> no, you know, I think being in the fashion industry and also being part of the blog world in like 
you know, in, in New York in like the 2000s, like 2008, 2009, things were always really snarky. Um, and I don't think I realized that I have a very snarky sense of writing until I started writing Kismet and people were like, oh, it's really vicious. And I was like, I thought I was being nice. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> I, need to turn, I need to tone it down even more because, like, my default is to just kind of poke fun at everything, including myself. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> it's wow. definitely not something I set out to do as my style, but I, I'm here, I guess. So, wow. <laughs> well, but, okay, so now you're putting together this book and you're using that area as kind of a, a place to center it at but how do you come up with your characters like where where do they come from for you are you one that imagines characters or dreams them or you see someone at the coffee shop and you go well that would be a good character i definitely based some of the people on real people i have met um there's shaman twin shamans in this book and they're named Brittany and star and Brittany came because She's an actual person I met, a friend of a friend who had come over to my house. A, was, that, a was that John? It was John. <laughs> John, did you bring Brittany over? No. And she's a shaman, you know, blonde hair, like just totally not what I had expected when somebody says, I'm bringing my shaman friend over. And I was like, okay. And she started talking about how Trump made the chemtrails go away. Oh, I felt like the air just sucked out of the room. It was that response exactly, John. I was like, oh, this is not going to work for me. <laughs> like, sorry, you have to go. So it was kind of like she was in my head. I wanted her. And then the other character, Ronnie, I kind and she's just this, I call her sad Ronnie because she's just got this pathetic life. She's very downtrodden because I needed somebody who would glom on to a guru figure, right? So I had to kind of take everything away from her to get her to that point. And I kind of, in my head, she's me at 18 when I moved from Texas to to New York, and I was just huge fish out of water, right? Everyone was so much more sophisticated and cool, and I had just been hanging out at the mall, you know? <laughs> so I wanted her to feel like she didn't belong and she couldn't tell anybody and she had to play along. Um, so she's kind of me <laughs> back when I was that ominous. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting, but you know, I, I I'm I'm still thinking uh, back a bit when you said you got turned down by all those agents, like all these publishers, I should say, and that. Um, so, what is it you you think that made you keep going or pursue it even further? Is there a certain event that happened, or some person, or something that that caused you to keep on doing it? Honestly, I didn't know what else to do with myself. Um, well, you McDonald's know, was hiring. I, well, yeah, out here, the jobs were Walmart and nursing. And I was like, I, I don't want to go work at Walmart. <laughs> I can't go from working at Elle and New York Magazine to working at Walmart. Like, it's just not the look I'm going for. <laughs> so, polyester. Polyester <laughs> uniform and being well, a there's greeter. There's nothing wrong with working at Walmart, you know, no. but there's just not a lot of opportunities out here for me. Yeah. So I thought, well let's try it. And if it, nothing happens, then I'll figure out my job situation. So, you know, I kind of just keep saying, just keep trying it. Just keep going. Just, just, let's just see what happens. Um, and then sort of cross my fingers that, you know, somebody will want to read it. And thankfully it's worked out. Um, I don't know 
how I don't know who I owe my soul to, but like, <laughs> oh, Brittany. It's Brittany. <laughs> okay. yeah, it's Brittany. Yeah, it's Brittany. Yeah. Come on, Brit- it's, it's Brittany, Brittany, bitch. Brittany has my soul. It's true. It's true. Well, you know, so when you put together Kismet, do you have um, do you have it in your mind, kind of the whole story, kind of, and then you're putting things together or is it kind of you just wake up and you have an idea and you keep adding it and you're going as it comes and and all that like how does this get assembled for you it's kind of a mix of both um i i recognize that plotting and outlining is very helpful however (laughs) i find that my version of doing it is knowing the beginning and what i want the ending to be and a few things in the middle and then the rest i just have to wing it and sometimes that works out really well. And sometimes it takes, you know, two years of writing. And, you know, I threw out five entirely complete manuscripts of this book, just threw them out and started over because I wasn't happy with where it had gone. So sometimes it, it things come to me literally as I'm walking around. So I, I, I don't know if you follow my, my social, but I have a lot of wild animals here. And so I'm walking around on our driveway and there's this giant raven. I mean, they're larger than my dog. And they drop, one of them dropped a feather right at my feet. And I was like, ooh. And I was thinking at that moment, like, how do I show the wildness that's here? The animals, the, the you know, the, the mountains. How do I make that come through without being like, it's so pretty, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I'm a little bit literal with things. So I literally put in, uh, chapters where the ravens have their own point of view and they're like a greek chorus complaining about humans throughout the book so and that would not have that just sort of came to me as i'm looking at this feather being like whoa that's cool um so i i i'm a little bit of a uh what do they call a plot sir you know i plot and i'm going by the seat of my pants here yeah yeah well it's crazy that um what a way of doing it i don't i don't know (laughs) um but hey if it works, it works. Obviously, exactly. it's doing doing something well. But how do you do? You actually, experience your your characters, and I, and I'm not trying to be. I flippant, hear them. Yeah, I you hear them. them. You I hear, hear them. them. I, I and this is with names, and this is with uh, lines, things they'll say. I'll hear it in my ear, and it's like, okay, that that's what I have to do. That's the name I need. Uh, that's the phrase I want them to be saying. Uh, or there'll be a tone of voice that they'll have, and that's like, oh, and it's almost an aha moment for me every time. Um, and it's one thing, it's something that uh, Caroline Kepneys calls the back brain, where you kind of have to not be doing anything. It's that moment before you fall asleep, you know, where your brain is just off, that these things come to me, you know? It's like that that midnight, <laughs> you want to turn off the lights and go to sleep, but you have to um, stay awake enough to write it down. And I've made myself, I've learned to always grab my phone and take notes of any midnight ideas that come to mind because it they they work for me. You know, I interviewed a serial killer once in prison, and that's what he described his voices as, too. <laughs> and it was always the midnight, and he said it was the back brain or whatever. And I was like, the back brain, yeah. Yeah, I said it's a little bit, you know, a psychosis going on here. I don't oh. know. But what do I know? Hey, you know, it's all good. So, but do you find yourself... Oh, is it, he still, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, well, actually, I can, I, if you want, I can say, yeah, joking. if you want a date here, you know. Um, but... um 
but when when this happens, is this happening? You say at night, you know, and you got your phone and all that stuff. Do you ever kind of like wake up in the middle of the night and find like a shovel by the bed or some muddy shoes or something? Well, if I did, it's because I sleepwalk, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is always really creepy, right? It's, that's actually the, in the next book. Um, I I was just in New York for lunch, and I literally woke. I was staying at a friend's apartment, and I woke up in their kitchen. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Wow. So I never quite know what, what sleep me is going to be doing or wearing or where she's going to wake up. So if there is a shovel and dirty boots, it's because she did something she should not have. Well, you see, you see, John, if you got that, she didn't deny it. She <laughs> said if there is. So, you know, yeah. I, I picked these things up. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got this person that's sleepwalking. Okay. I'm setting up. I'm setting a good defense up right here. Right? <laughs> exactly. I can prove I'm nuts. Um, yeah, Money, I'll always ask the shovel question, or people are like, "No, I think I think you might be the first that's like, well, that's possible." <laughs> <laughs> well, if there is, <laughs> sure. well, now we know. Um, great, that's See, wonderful. Now you know this author's kooky. She's a bit weird, guys. Yeah, see, I knew Arizona was a little bit strange, but you know, come on. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, well, that's interesting. So, do 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 your do your characters then kind of lead the story in a way or tell yeah. you? Yes. They do. Um, I, I, I always, I was trying to explain to my dad, who's not a writer, how I, my process. And I said, you know, I usually have an idea of what I want to write that day, but that's about it. And then I just sit down and all these things just come out onto the computer. Um, and I don't really stop and think about it. And, I just sort of let this, it's like herding cats, you know, trying to get the characters to want to go towards what I want the ending to be. And sometimes I can get them to do that. And sometimes it takes a lot of rewriting (laughs) and and even more rewriting to just get them to this one point. Like I just, you know, so. Do you think you rewrote the second book more than the first? Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm curious. Cause I, I, I thought it was going to be easier the second time around. Turns oh. out. <laughs> no, because then you've had people who loved your first book or hated your first book and you have all these different critiques in your head right. as you're writing. And it's like, how, how do I make this next book good? I don't, I don't know. And you have to shut all of that out, but it feels like way more pressure to write the second book. I think. Wow. Um, so, do you have some sort of a um, a point that you want to make with your stories? Like, even if it happens organically, like you might not sit down and have an intentional thing that you want readers to take away from your book, but it might happen just from you telling the story. Is, is there some sort of a, a subtext or point to I your book? I think there's a thread in my stories of uh, an outsider. Um, I think, you know, like, in Fashion Victim, the main character doesn't feel like she belongs. In Kismet, Ronnie definitely feels like an outsider. Um, and it comes from being what I, what we call the ABCDs, which is American-born confused Desis, which is uh, Pakistani and Indian and Bangladeshi kids who grew up in the U.S. And it can be a challenge to figure out where you belong because you're too American for people, you know, back in, in your parents' country, and you're not American enough for people here. 
So where, where is it that you, you belong? So you're kind of straddling two worlds here. So I, I definitely have these characters who embody that, who are not, you know, not comfortable in their own skin yet. They're trying to figure out who their people are. Um, and it's a, it's a bit of a journey <laughs> with a lot of murder. Um, and yeah, I think that would be the connecting thread throughout all my stories. And so do you, do you actually uh, try to research killers and murderers and things like that? Or what do you do to get the, um, to get the storyline and the events to sort of happen that where they seem real? Um, I don't, but I mean, I think I don't, I don't research killers more than anybody else does. Like I don't watch a lot of true crime stuff. But, you know, we all read Helter Skelter, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. Um, I think a lot of it also comes out. My dad's a retired psychiatrist. And there's definitely an undercurrent of cra- of a- actual crazy in my book. Um, and I blame him, obviously. And <laughs> he used to try to shrink me as a kid. So... <laughs> shrink you? Yeah. Oh, so wow. there's definitely those things where I'm like, mm, yes, let's kill the psychiatrist in this one. <laughs> wow. so, yeah. So you're actually killing off people you know in the books. Sometimes. And fashion victim, absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. And I and in every interview I had to be like, no, no, I, I would never want to kill anybody in fashion. But <laughs> the reality is, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> What's well, so funny, I have a, a friend who writes a lot of creative nonfiction and um, uh, recently her, her speak about how, you know, she wishes people would embrace the idea, not turn their nose up the idea that writing can be therapeutic. And I always think about, you know, talking to crime writers and, you know, it's often like killing people off can be incredibly therapeutic. (laughs) Oh my God. It really is. It gets so much angst out, you know, like that lady who cut me off on while driving. Okay. Well, she's going to have an accident in my book and it it all comes out and then I don't have to, you know, feel it or act on it in real life, which I think is safer. (laughs) (laughs) Safer and better just better better we don't want to kill people but no i and especially like when i wrote my first book i was definitely not in the best headspace but it got so much out you know it wasn't about grief and it wasn't about a a parent dying uh, or you know i was in this moment where also like my career had ended for the most part and it was a public ending like people wrote about my layoff you know which was the weirdest thing by the way so it was like why do you people know who i am <laughs> you know and so i really felt like i'd had the rug pulled out on, out from under me in so many ways so writing that first book got a lot of that anger out that i was holding on to and i just felt so much better after i'd written it so you know i always thought well if nothing happens with my work at least i'm writing this for me and you know trying to stay sane yeah there's nothing wrong with trying to stay sane that's for sure <laughs> these <Right>. days <laughs> right but, but why <laughs> why i think it's good to embrace your eccentricities um but i think you have to make sure you're not being harmful to yourself or to others oh. for the most part so so like the lady that believed that the trump stopped the chemtrails is yeah the, it's a little harmful. <laughs> I think it can be in in terms of beauty. I mean, it's her beauty, wellness. Um, you know, the way I look at it is wellness has become this billion dollar industry, right? And 
it's not about spirituality anymore. It's about buy this thing it, that'll make you whole. Buy this, buy this crystal, buy this jewelry, buy this room spray or incense, buy this candle. And none of that is going to make anybody better. <laughs> it might make you happy for a moment. And that's awesome. That's great. You know, shiny rocks are pretty, whether they're diamonds or quartz or whatever. But it's not going to heal your traumas or your issues. And that was one of the things that I was diving into with this book. Um, because, you know, I, I, I get wellness. <laughs> I feel like every woman I know is into wellness now because we're kind of running out of options here, right? Uh, so I wanted to really focus on the people who are making a, a nice buck off everybody as opposed to people who want to actually help others. That makes sense. Yeah, that does. I was uh, just the other night uh, watching um, the documentary about the Woodstock 99 debacle. Yes. And which is fascinating. And just I cr- the whole thing, I cringed because it's so filthy and I don't like crowds. I was like, it was mm-hmm. like, a, like a horror story for me. But, you know, one thing I kept on coming up and I think the sort of underlying thesis was here's this thing that was kind of kind of like wellness a little bit like this real moment that, that people are trying to bring up again from 69 and have. But they they totally created a, a big problem because they, you know, now it was just all about the amount of money they can make off of it. And, yeah. You know, it's like wellness and some of these other things, which are essentially kind of, you know, under the realm of health or spirituality or you know, taking care of yourself becomes super commodified and then it just warps everything. <laughs> yeah. It's like Gwyneth Paltrow says you need this to be whole, so you're going to spend obscene amount of money to do it, but I don't think her candles are going to make me whole. You know? <laughs> I, mean, her, I like candles. They're lovely. vagina smelling candle didn't... Yeah, you know, I don't need that. I'm good. <laughs> uh, you know, could you imagine going over to someone's house and it's like, what is that that smell? What's my new vagina candle? I mean, to each their own. <laughs> <We're> not, <laughs> if that's what makes people happy, great. Um, I don't want to yuck someone's yum here. <laughs> oh, just go for it. Yuck. Yeah. If you're not hurting anybody else. Have fun. Go go wild. Yeah. Yeah. But, to, 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 but writing about that sort of thing, doesn't that sort of make – and when you're in that business, does it, does it – affect the way you think about your business then like you know what i'm saying like you're working in yeah i mean in the fashion industry wellness was always hand in hand so you know a lot of the people i've met in wellness was in were in new york so i I feel like this story could be set in new york it could be set in la it could be set in tulum or in bali um i just happened to set it here It, it these the people i've met were some of them were obviously actually were into it they were like i'm here to help i don't even want money let me let me help you. And you're like, okay, cool. But then you have people who are like, it'll be $500 just to talk to me on the phone. You know, and it's like, well, how, why? And those were the people that I wanted to, to well, to murder. Um, they're, <laughs> they're in the, the, it's the scammers that get murdered in this book, you know? So it's not um, necessarily looking at, oh, wellness is stupid. It's more like these are the people who are taking advantage of others, you know, who, who are, you know, seeing a need and, and glomming on and taking people's money and not in a good way. So I really wanted to, to murder them off as opposed to somebody who's actually, you know, in it for healing and what have you. Um, because I think 
there are so many different cultures uh, and healing that happens that, uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone can say that's bad. Right. <laughs> but I can point out that if you have to spend a, a bazillion dollars to buy something, cause that one thing is all you need to, to be whole, then I can point that that's bad. Um, it is the commodification of wellness and spirituality. So it is, it's something. I mean, if I, if I were a less uh, ethical person, maybe I would just open up a shop out here and make some money, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Think yeah. about this. Sell crystals for a lot of, t- a lot of cash. You can yeah. get that stuff for cheap. It's interesting because it feels like the almost like just an, another arm of the way that sometimes religion is used, you know, yeah. and the commodification of religion. Um, and it feels a little bit like it's the new, I, I hate to say new age because we're past new ageiness, I guess, at this point. But um, and now it's the word is wellness, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's called wellness now to be more all encompassing, I suppose. Right, right, um, right. Well, you can call it anything you want, but I think it's the ultimate um we we want to um make things either evil or really wonderful so whether it's a religion or a cult or it's an item it's going to save you it's going to protect you it's going to heal you or it's going to kill you it's even to the you know Donald Trump's going to save us you know it's like that kind of thing so i think that's just kind of the way people kind of do it but i also think for women especially you know We've all, I, I, I know so many women, this has happened to where, where their doctors don't take them seriously. You know, like I have chronic migraines. I've had so many doctors who are like, yeah, right. You're lying, you know, and wellness can offer them uh, a chance of controlling things a little bit more, you know, of saying, I'm doing all these things right. I'm going to be well again. And there are some things, obviously, depending on what people need that, that can be helpful, but we have to also look at um ourselves and what we're doing you know i feel like there is such an impact in the wellness space um and is it a good impact is it you know like is anyone looking at where the crystals are coming from is anyone looking at the environmental aspect of mining these rocks and who is mining them which is often children um so we there's a lot about wellness that can be questionable at this point although i do absolutely understand why people turn to it Oh, for sure. I mean, and there's a mental element to it that, you know, if if you put yourself in the right headspace, you will handle any sort of issue or illness better than if you don't, right? Yes. And certain things are going to make you feel better, and certain things yeah. work. But and listen, like I said, sometimes a shiny rock is all you need because it makes it's happy, it makes you happy because it's pretty, you know, and that's fine. That works for me, but I don't think that rock has special powers. Yeah, you know. Uh, but hey, you know it's kind of the way the world is, right? Now, if we can make a buck, we will. So, what? Who? Who did you um, use for inspiration for something like you, for your wellness people, like your guru in this, Marley Dewhurst? Marley is definitely she wants to be Gwyneth. She wants goop. She wants the acclaim. She wants the you know everyone to know her name. Um, so that's definitely, I feel like Gwyneth Paltrow's the, the top of the wellness world, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the, no disrespect to her. You know, I, I, some of the stuff on Goop is hilarious. I love it. But, but as, as a character archetype, she was top in my head. Um, and then one of the things I really wanted to dive into here was how much uh, the white wellness world takes from other cultures 
without celebrating those cultures, right? So the main character is Pakistani-American, and everyone thinks she's Indian. And when they find out she's not, she's Pakistani and, and her family's Muslim, people freak out, you know, because they don't want to have a Muslim around. But then they have roomy quotes, you know, everywhere I mean, on their Instagram and what have you. And the main character points out, well, you know, Rumi's Muslim and he's writing about God and everybody is kind of horrified by that. So it really, and this comes from actual people I've talked to who were like, oh, you're not Indian. I thought you were. And it's like, I'm not the right kind of South Asian for them. So I really <laughs> wanted to put that in there um, because I, I think that, one of the cool things about wellness is exposing different cultures and, and, and rituals and what have you. But again, they're commodifying it, you know, and they're, and they're not celebrating the cultures that these things come from. Wow. There's a weird sort of exoticism going on too. I would imagine sort of this idea that, you know, it's because I don't understand this other culture. It's mysterious, but that in that mystery is going to heal me or something. I don't know. It's a little bit of Orientalism, to be honest. Yes. You yes. Know? It's like, oh, it's a mystic from South Asia. Oh, yes. And <laughs> it's like, no, I'm from Queens. Like, no. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell them that. <laughs> I tell you, I should have done a whole Swami act out here. I would have made a fortune. <laughs> it's Lady Ominous. <laughs> <laughs> I here to heal you. Yeah, no, that's crazy. But I, well, that's that's quite a. Um, so, are you happy with the end product when you we've done Kismet? Like when you look back, this and even your first book, um, you you're you're really happy. You wouldn't change anything. Oh, I would totally change the first book. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Kismet, I love. I feel like the first book, I just had no idea what I was doing. I literally just vomited out this book. Um, you know, and I'd never really written something that long. You know, I did a lot of writing for websites. So I was used to writing 300 words, 400 words maximum. So it was a challenge just to be able to write something that was book-length for me. Um, I think having written more since then, I would definitely refine it a little bit more. Had a little nuance because it's really more of like a sledgehammer of a book as opposed to any kind of subtlety. Um, but with Kismet, I am pretty happy. I mean, look, you can ask me in a year from now if I change that this this opinion, but I like, I like the way Kismet came out. Um, I'm still kind of surprised people keep calling it vicious because I thought I was being nice, but I have to work on that clearly. <laughs> Well, it might just be their own experience of where their what their life is like. You know, you Maybe. might, you know, I, I, you know, I get called all sorts of things like that. A little bit more aggressive than vicious, but I'm you know. sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> John doesn't though. John's lovely. So. No, John is he's, he's a good girl there. I try. I try. To we be met in Dallas at the Beacon for like a hot second. I was like, hey, I know him. And so, <laughs> no, that. Yeah, that was that was an interesting uh con, without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about Minneapolis. <laughs> I you know, I'm not going. I'm on oh. deadline within my edits and I'm just I because I live with my father who's, you know, in, in his late eighties, I just can't risk COVID for him. So Yeah, that uh, totally makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to do what's best for your for your situation yourself. Um yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I'm sorry, I won't get to see you there. Um, we'll have major FOMO the entire time, however. Right. Well, <laughs> it, will, it probably won't. You know, we should all just wait to post stuff like after. <laughs> no. 
being not when it's actually happening and you're not there and you're just getting the pictures and you're like, I could be at that bar hanging out with it. I, you I, know. I could do this. Well, I'm looking forward to San Diego. I feel like that's going to be a really fun one. Yeah, that one's going to be fun. Beautiful yes. location. So like, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated because you're the second author we've interviewed in, um, in a row well, that I've interviewed in a row that has a book coming out with Thomas and Mercer. And I, I feel like the last one was Kelly J. Ford. And oh. I, yeah. She's her, her book, Real Bad Things. Um, she's great. And, um, but I, I feel like there's an embrace, maybe an embrace more diverse books coming, you know, down the pipeline through Thomas and Mercer. I got to say, I, I, I feel that Thomas and Mercer puts their money where their mouth is for diversity. Uh, that's hopeful. Very hopeful. Yeah. Not, not just signing people who, you know, LGBTQ or, or writers of color, but offering decent advances, um, which I really hope other publishing houses take note of. Um, not that, you know, not, I don't want to ever stay with Thomas Mercer, but I think that the more um, other publishing houses follow suit, the better it is for everybody. Um, so I think that they are taking more risks with who they're signing in, in a good way. Um, I think the outcome or the end benefit will be great for everybody because you're getting really diverse stories, you know, really different points of view and writing that maybe people would never have read. Right. Um, so I think, yeah. They're doing stuff. Yeah, I think that was. If you sign with them, they're great. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's very hopeful, and um, and 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 they're in a position. It's it strikes me as being, you know, to make something successful like that, they're in a good position, you know, in terms of promotions and that kind of yeah. thing. This is what we need. It's like so much of this is just promoting something. It's not that people don't actually want to read it. I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. And there's also so much of it is out of the writer's hands once it's published. There's only so much you can do. You know, you, you can tweet about it. You can post on Instagram. You can do every interview possible. But it's out of your hands. The marketing and all of that is is something that the publishing houses have to do. And I'm, I'm noticing that Thomas and Mercer really pushes their books in a good way. So hopefully we'll see more of that. Yeah. What, what is your process? So when you when you sit down, do you, do you can you time yourself like? 10 to 4 every day and just sit down and write yeah. or do you have to be in a certain mood no i usually do like 11 to 2 um every day i get up work out because i have to because middle age and then <laughs> <laughs> hopefully if i don't have a migraine i get to work i drink my coffee have the dog next to me and you know some days i'm gonna crank out a few thousand words and some days it's 500 words and it's nothing you know but it's all part of that process. You have to go through those those annoying days where nothing is working to get to the good days. Um, I generally try to write every single day uh, with the caveat that there are some days, you know, like once or twice a week where I, I can't stomach looking at a computer, you know, and that's fine. Um, so I never know when I'm going to be functional enough to write. So I, that's, so I, I don't take weekends. I just get it all done as much as I can. Um, and then after about two, I usually get very stoned and I just hang out <laughs> and that's also a little back brain action where, you know, things come to me and it's great, you know, yay legal weed. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's wow. about it. It's wow. 
it's a very easy process, guys. I just literally sit down, do it, and then I get stoned and hang out. And... I, I, that sounds like a, a brilliant process. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I'm going to have writing cool. retreats for this. <laughs> I know, right? Right? What a good a good new formula. Um, maybe that's something that could happen in Sedona. All right? Right? <laughs> it is legal here, guys. We can yeah, right? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it's like, I still, I can't, like, after all these years, I'm still, I feel like I've still cobbled together time to write. Like, I can't just, you know. John can't. sits in the kitchen with a glass of wine and he scream, he reads it out to Alexa and then tells Alexa to read it back. <laughs> That's... You're not all that far from reality. <laughs> Hearing, reading things out loud is such a good way to to edit though you know like it actually works well i'm a little bit on the dyslexia spectrum and so um i actually do have my computer read stuff back to me to catch things that i can't my my brain actually inserts or fills in as i'm as i'm writing and so i i have to have it read back to me have you, you used you, that new dyslexia font I, you know, the thing is, is apparently, um, I, I work uh, this past year for years before worked with dyslexic kids um, in my teaching and the whole font thing is a little bit, there's no real dyslexic font. Um, there's just like better fonts than others. Um, so I don't, I haven't checked it out, but I, I've asked some of my students, you know, who are much more dyslexic than I am. I'm, I'm not that far on the spectrum, but um, and they're like, yeah, as long as it's like really about spacing, word spacing, and, and really sort of straightforward, clear font. But um, yeah, anyway, um, it, I, ha I haven't tried it, but uh, really for me, I just have to have it read back to me and then I catch it. It's just an interesting. Yeah. I definitely have an edit where, you know, I'm reading it out loud. My poor dog has to suffer through that. <laughs> And it helps. It helps me catch things that I didn't catch before, or I didn't get the inflection right, or something was was missing. And it it, it helps to hear it. Yeah. Does your dog bark if 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 doesn't no, like she, it? She's completely silent. Uh, like. <laughs> well, I just thought if there was a part in it that she didn't like, she needs to step up her 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 helpfulness here because <laughs> she's got to earn her keep a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, Start yeah. making her making the bacon. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you are you big on social media now? Do you have a website? Where where do people yeah. find well, you? Well, you know, I think because I came from the media world, I was already on social media a lot because it was you know trained into us that you have to tweet, you have to post, you have to. So, um, but I don't really have that much to post. You know, like what am I posting? My dog? Oh, yeah. look, there's a coyote outside. <laughs> you know, that's literally all I post now. <laughs> it used to be you know famous people hanging out you know with debbie harry and now it's like oh look i have a coyote um but yes no i am on social um it's uh both both social inst um, instagram and twitter under dramina it's d-r-r-r-a-m-i-n-a -A. um and i have a website which is um amnaaktar.work because amnaaktar.com was taken oh. by another woman with my name <laughs> Well, why didn't you take her out? Well, we've met. Well, we've met online, and and so it was. I feel because I ruined her Google search results. It's fair. Oh, big meanie. <laughs> well, we'll have all that up on the website or on our website, so people can find you. But I'm sure they will anyway. You know. So I, I wonder now during this last COVID and all this strange stuff, the last few years and stuff. Did, did that interrupt your writing or did it did it 
make it harder to come up with ideas? No, because I'm already a homebody and a hermit. <laughs> so <laughs> it didn't really change much, except that I didn't let my dad go out as much. You know what I mean? We we just, you know, hit out at our house. And um, I already wasn't socializing out here because it's, you know, it's very MAGA. And <laughs> well, you're not MAGA. <laughs> and I was the well, I'd like, I'll go to Walmart and I'm like the only brown person around for miles, you know, and it's like this is a little uncomfortable. Uh, I saw a house the other day that actually had, uh, uh, you know, the rainbow flag. And I was so excited because I was like, I can go be friends with these people. But I thought knocking on their door would be weird. <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine just a strange girl being like, I saw your flag. I love you. Let's hang out. Um, so, I, you know, I'm definitely just sort of like a hermit out here, which works really well for writing. I guess. But, you know, but... It... I would imagine that if if you feel that way, like when you go to Walmart and you're and you're out in the streets, that you're kind of the the only in a group. There would be sort of a sense of isolation, and I wonder if that contributes to your books. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. Um, but I've also always weirdly been one of the people where I would, when I was you know working in fashion, I would have to you know go to four or five parties a night, you know, put an appearance and come home. And on weekends, not leave my apartment. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like uh-uh. I need you need to recharge. And I it took me until hitting my forties to understand just how much I need quiet alone time. Um, so I enjoy the isolation. I'm one of those weird people who just loves it. And with the caveat that every now and again, you know, I can go out to L.A. or I can go out to New York, see people for a week, and then come back and hide. Um, that sort of works for me. Yeah, that doesn't sound weird at all. I think, <laughs> I, I think I'm I'm built exact same way. Like, yeah. I like social and bursts, but man, like a stretch of time to be alone is just like it's heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I am still recovering from last week, and like I I got a hotel room just so I could have quiet time alone and like not have to talk to anybody. You know, so it was like a few days of just hiding in the hotel and i felt guilty because i'm like i'm in new york i should be going and doing things i was like i'm not leaving this room i'm good <laughs> yeah i do that all the time i find Make that a, yeah yeah say yeah say stay by myself in a hotel room and cry <laughs> and and sad no i am um, no especially when i'm writing and stuff i'll go somewhere myself and do that because i think that it creates an atmosphere or a mood where you can get a lot accomplished and you're not um, bothered by people and I don't mean that in a negative way I just mean that no. writing know. is inherently a very selfish act you know we have to carve out time from our lives away from people to just sit and, and think and do things and it's not I don't I, it's not uh, a social activity for me so yeah well, where do you see yourself going now uh, where, where, where... I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, but with this whole writing thing now, it seems to be yeah. taking off. So, what what do you yeah. think? How do you see this? Are you going to be doing? You got more books coming? I have my next book. I'm in edits for right now, um, and this one's actually set in New York, and it's about a woman who sleepwalks, um, and all these crazy things happen to her, and she's just this very assimil. I need to work on my elevator pitch clearly, but she's very assimilated and doesn't believe in anything spiritual. And what have you and it turns out she might be haunted and she doesn't believe it and so you were kind of just going through trying to figure out what's actually happening 
Um, and then I have ideas for the next two books, but I feel like after I finish this edit, I'm doing nothing but reading for the rest of the year because I'm so behind on books because my deadlines have been a little intense. So I'm not going to write a word until next year. Wow. And what kind of stuff does, do you kind of get into to read? I mean, I read just about everything. I obviously there's a whole bunch of amazing crime writers. I need to read like John. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have a pile of piles of books, you know, like the, people we meet and you're like i want to support them so i buy all the books and then it's like i need to find the time to read them um but i find that if i'm you know in writing mode i can't also jump into reading mode they have to be a little bit separate for me so i'm very behind i just read sandra wong's book um oh oh it's one of the dark titles like what happens in the dark oh i can't i'm I'm sorry, Sandra, I can't remember the name, but it was brilliant. It's just this, this amazing book about, you know, being Asian in Canada. And it's a whole thriller, but it involves family and all those issues. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, so I'll read just about anything as long as it's fiction. I cannot, like, read nonfiction for some reason. It feels like I'm in school whenever I try. <laughs> it's sort of like eyes glazed. So it has to be fiction. Um so, yeah, I just kind of want to read literally every writer I've ever met. I want to read their books right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you get um, your inspiration from, as in to get in the mood to to write or do things? Is there, like, music? Is it movies? Is no. it uh, crystals? Like, what? <laughs> what? I, wish, I wish it were music. You know, with migraines, I get very sound sensitive. So I, there's a lot of, like, that I don't listen to. Like, I've never listened to, to my um, my audiobooks. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. I just. I need silence. Um, no, I think my inspiration usually comes from me sitting around being like, "Oh my god, wouldn't it be funny if I did X, Y, Z?" And then that turns into a book. So, um, it's usually something that I find like there's an image in my head that I find hilarious, and I want to turn it into something. Wow. So, so you're not sitting around the house listening to Metallica. No, but I will listen to them in the car. Okay. Well, like, just... I'm fine with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a former Texan from the 90s. Metallica and everything else was 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 definitely on the playlist. Oh, wow. Quite, quite a person here. <laughs> my, my word. I don't know what to say. Um, well, you know, people, you need to go out and, and pick up this book, you know. Um, help her out. She's walking around at night in her sleep and... <laughs> and having weird dreams and talking to herself and back voices and, you know, all that stuff, you know? So, wow. Well, it's been an interesting conversation and, and uh, I'm glad you came on the show. Thank um, you for having me. I appreciate it. And this um, has been really fun. Yeah. Well, the book is called Kismet and it's a thriller and it's fiction. So what, you know, it, it's not that nonfiction garbage, okay? Oh, not not like Al right. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I try to read nonfiction, I swear to you, I just end up reading the same line over and over. I don't know what it is about my brain that does that. It drives me crazy. Oh, it's it's the same as when I write it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts. All shows go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night.